Good morning. Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church of Wausau. My name is Cheryl Hemp, and I'm a member here in this congregation. It has been an amazing week with our church Thanksgiving dinner on Thursday night, and now bread communion today. Um, such wonderful times to be together, so thank you. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us here and online this morning. Since 1870, UU Wausau has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people, just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are currently worshiping both in person and online, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, maybe, <laughs> or Instagram for updates. And with that, let us gather our hearts and minds for worship. Please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting. You will find the words printed in the order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. And now if you could please stand as able and join in hymn number 349, number 349. you to be seated as we participate in this responsive reading. All the responsive readings that we'll share this morning are from the original Bread Communion service first celebrated in this congregation in 1969. Was anyone here in 1969? Louie, thank you for still being here in 2022. And two more in the back, Drake's. So you will follow along with the print that's in bold. For the goods of the harvest, the stores which 
are laid up for the nourishment of the children of creation. For all those who work while we sleep, that we might have life more abundantly. For the beauty which refreshes and renews us. Lest we forget our dependence upon the good earth, lest we remove ourselves too completely from the source of our well-being, lest in our pride we forget that from dust we came and unto dust we will return. Now please rise for the singing of our doxology. this morning, I wonder, how many people do you think it took to make it? Five? Ten? Twenty? Hmm. For this, for the answer this morning, I would like to share with you the story of Uncle Harry's Thanksgiving bread. For many families, Thanksgiving is a special holiday, a time when relatives gather together to share a special meal. And so it was with the Osgood family. Scott and Jenny loved to visit their Aunt Ruth and their Uncle Harry. All the rest of the family would be there, and there'd be lots of good food and games and a story or two from Uncle Harry. Everyone who came for dinner brought something special for the big meal. Scott and Jenny carried their sweet potatoes and corn pudding into the kitchen and set it with the other yummy things. On the counter in the kitchen was a large round loaf of bread, Uncle Harry's special Thanksgiving bread. Just looking at it would make you hungry. It was warm and had the inviting smell of fresh bread that was yeast-based, and peeking through the rich brown crust were nuts and colorful fruits. It was irresistible. Scott put down the sweet potatoes he was carrying, and in the same motion swept his hand over the bread, trying to grab a big, plump red cherry that was on top. Stop, screamed Uncle Harry. Don't touch the bread. We have to wait for everyone, for that's a very special loaf of bread. It took over a thousand people to make that loaf of bread. Scott pulled back his hand. It did? No, it couldn't. How is that possible? Maybe more than 2,000, Uncle Harry said thoughtfully. Scott and Jenny looked at each other and puzzled over how it could take over 1,000 people to make one, albeit a very delicious one, loaf of bread. You're pulling our leg, Uncle Harry, Sarah teased. Uncle Harry smiled. Go take off your coats and we'll figure it out. While they hung their coats in the closet, Uncle Harry went and got a pad of paper and a pen. All right, he said as they settled onto the family room couch. What's the first thing you think of that goes into making bread? Flour, cried Jenny and Scott, both at the same time. Right, said Uncle Harry. And where do you think I got that flour? Well, at the store, of course, said Jenny. And does the store run itself, Uncle Harry asked. How does the flour get itself onto the shelf for me to buy? They have people who stock the shelves, said Jenny, who was beginning to understand. Uncle Harry began his list. At the top of the paper, he wrote me, 
and under that he wrote stock person. Who else at the store had something to do with my flower, he asked. And the children help him add manager, cashier, and beggar to that list. Now, Uncle Harry said, did they make the flower at the store? And the children shook their heads no. How did it get there? A big truck delivered it, offered Scott, who was very interested in trucks these days. A truck driver bought it. Add truck driver to your list. And so Uncle Harry did. Together they added many more as they traced the flower back from to the farm where it had been made or been grown. There were the warehouse workers and the train crew and the loaders and the workers at the flour mill and the grain elevator and the farmer and laborers who planted and cared for the wheat and then who ran the harvesters to cut the wheat. And then Uncle Harry said, or asked, what about the trains and the trucks and the machinery? We wouldn't have this flower without them. Who built them? And the list grew with designers and inventors and bricklayers and machinists and on and on. And when they ran short of ideas and they had filled three pages on Uncle Harry's pad, almost a hundred people in all. Well, said Uncle Harry, so much for the flour. Now what about the eggs and the sugar and the spices and the nuts and the fruit and the butter and the yeast? Stop, cried Scott, you win. We won't even have enough paper to write down all those people. I guess it really did take more than a thousand people to make that bread. And I've always thought about it as just Uncle Harry's special bread. Well, it is, said Uncle Harry, but Thanksgiving always reminds me of how I couldn't make my special bread without the help of thousands of other people. When we hold hands around the table today and say what we're thankful for, I'm going to say for the thousands of people who helped prepare this meal, said Jenny, who had been listening intently. Do you think Grandma and Mommy will understand? Yes, said Uncle Harry. I think they will. And that was our story for today. We are worshiping as a whole community today, so please join me in blessing everyone here and everyone joining us online with May Peace Surround You. The words are printed in your order of worship. times a year we have a special focus collection um, where our plate offering from the morning goes to an organization in our community and today it is going to the Hmong American Center and we have a representative we have two representatives here from the Hmong um, Center and our executive director Yi Lang Zhang will be speaking um, about the center and their work Thank you. First and foremost, I want to start off by saying it's truly a pleasure and honor to be able to be here and join this wonderful group of individuals as we are here to uh, share a little bit about the Hmong American Center. Um, I want to use this time to thank Roxanne for being a wonderful host and also along with the other individuals um, who has made this uh, visit extremely wonderful. 
Um, I came to the Hmong American Center in 2016, so it's been six years, and, I, and, I, it is pro and I'm proud to say as well too, but that this is the first time I've ever been invited to speak at a church or in front of a congregation. So I wanna express my deep appreciation to each and every one of you for giving me this opportunity to share a little bit about the Hmong American Center. Now, when, we came, when I came to the Hmong American Center, it was originally established to help the Southeast Asian community assimilate to the larger community in general. But, one day, but as time goes by, we started to realize that as we worked on this effort, many of our Southeast Asian youth began to lose their cultural identity and began to lose their purpose. Because of that, and because of that the Hmong American Center became even more important than ever in helping our community, the Southeast Asian community, become uh, a member of this community, contribute a member, but at the same time retaining and holding onto the very important aspects, their history, their knowledge, their language, uh, that, really, that makes them the Hmong community. Today, the Hmong American Center is proud to be one of the most successful Southeast Asian community organizations in the state. It's surprisingly that in 2016, when I came in, the organization was actually on the verge of closure. But because of our community, because of how well our, how supportive of our community, we continue to grow and, be not, and am now one of the largest organizations in the, South, in the state of Wisconsin here that serves the Hmong community. The Hmong American Center provides a variety of services such as youth educational support systems, career exploration, LENA, ELL classes for the Hmong and Hispanic communities. Uh, we provide uh, vaccine outreach, health education, free tax filing for members, of the, for members of the community, not just the Southeast Asian community. We do a lot of cultural education programs, immigration assistance, citizenships, job placement, housing, and so much more. If I was to talk about it, it would probably take more than an hour, and I know I'm short on time, so I'm going to be talking about specifically two, project, two programs that we provide at the Hmong American Center, the FUN program and the senior dining, cultural dining site. Now, back when the pandemic began, as we all know, it's not that long ago, many of our elders struggled with, uh, with uh, isolation and the fact that they were, they were housed. In many of the Hmong community members, especially our elders, the pandemic took away many loved individuals as quickly as they have lost individuals during the Vietnam War. And many of them struggle with, struggle with the concept of losing one another. So that's why we established the fun group as an opportunity to take the elders out, our elders out, so that that way they can interact with one another, experiencing the things in their community, such as the Wasa Conservatory of Music, the Liakis Woodson Art Museum, and so much more. Now, as part of that program, uh, we, we, we worked with the Aging Disability and the Resource Center to establish a cultural dining site. Now, why is this unique? We know that in our community we have a lot of services, a lot of food pantry programs that are catered towards our community, but many of our Hmong elders don't utilize those programs due to the fact that those programs does not have food that our elders eat. Our elders eat the traditional boiled chicken to the traditional uh, boiled pork with um, green, green uh, mustard, greens, etc. And many of these you cannot find in food pantries. I know that when the Aging Disability Resource Center approached and did a presentation, I asked them the question, how many Southeast Asian community members did they serve? And they said they had one individual who came one time and never came back again because the food did not cater to what they need. So with the partnership with the Aging Disability Resource Center, we were able to work with them to be able to find funding to now provide a cultural dining site that specifically has Hmong food towards our elders. And although this food program is catered towards elders in the Southeast Asian community, it's open to anyone that's 60 years and older in our community. 
it's proud to say that this program has been one of the most successful programs that we have at the Hmong American Center with over with between 20 to 30 individuals showing up on a weekly basis. So we are proud that that program continues to be one of our uh, biggest uh, program. And but what, despite the fact that we're only feeding these individuals, it's also an opportunity for them to socialize, to gather, and to interact as well with one another. So um, once again, that's our senior cultural dining center that occurs every Thursday from four thirty to six o'clock. But that concludes my uh, my time, and I appreciate everybody for this opportunity. And if anyone wants to talk more about the Hmong American Center or our programs, I would love to have that discussion as well. Um, you can contact us just down the street from here on Sixth Street, right across the street from People's State Bank, and adjacent to uh, adjacent to Angelo's Pizza. And once again, thank you all for your time and for allowing me this opportunity to speak to you all. Thank you. I'd like to invite everyone to join me in the spirit of prayer and meditation. Start by putting your feet flat on the ground. If you pray or meditate with your eyes closed, now's a good time to close them. Let us become aware of our bodies starting with the tops of our heads. the air stirring. And as you move your awareness downwards, let the tension out of your jaw. Take a breath up into your shoulders and slowly out. Take a breath deep into your stomach and slowly out.
Let us pray. Blessed be you, O Spirit of life, for all the gifts that we know and all the gifts that we never even notice. As we give thanks for life's gifts to us, we dare to ask for even more. We pray for an end to all suffering and pain. We pray for those who shiver in the cold, for those who have no homes, for those who have no hope. We pray for those who greet each day with sorrow, for those who have lost their dignity, for those who have lost their dreams. We pray for those whose bodies ache and sigh, for those who long for the release of death, and for those who fear the end of their days. In this hour, we pray in particular for the victims of violence in last night's shooting at a nightclub in Colorado. We pray especially for the victims' families and their friends, and for the first responders who witness tragedy up close. We pray for justice and for peace in every country, in every home, and in every heart. Now let us call to mind all the joys and sorrows in our lives, and let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen. Please stay seated for our prayer hymn number 16. It is a gift to be simple in the great hymnal.
invite you to join me in our second responsive reading. For all the substance and shape of times past and days gone by, for all the effort and hope and love poured into our lives by others, known and unknown, for the heritage which is ours, gifted by generations long dead, Lest we forget our rootage in the deeds and visions of the past. Lest our arrogance lead us to forsake the human love which supports and sustains us. Lest we forget the resources bequeathed to us by the great body of humanity.
in September, my wife and I traveled to Washington, D.C. to attend one of my dear friend's weddings. The day after the ceremony was a Sunday, and so we took advantage of being in the nation's capital, and we headed downtown as early as we could to find a place to go to church before we visited the monuments and the museums. And we were drawn to St. John's Episcopal Church right there across from the White House in Lafayette Square. As many of you probably know, St. John's is also called the Church of the Presidents. Every president since James Madison has attended church there at least once. And with only one exception, every president since Franklin Roosevelt has visited the church on Inauguration Day to say a prayer and to receive communion. Now this church has just an extraordinary history, but in a way, the church is really no different than ours. Like our church, it has people who have been members for decades, people who are just passing through as they weather a crisis or, or learn how to pray. There are kids there, like kids here, who run around like they own the place. There are traditional members who run around asking tourists to remove their hats. They have a choir, a baptismal font, hymn books, lots of dust in the corners. They have trouble raising enough money to cover all the needed repairs and still pay the staff. And like our church, they have rather bossy members and complaining members and quiet members. And most of the visitors to the church that morning, like us, were spiritual tourists, so to speak. And spiritual tourists are very easy to spot because we fumble over and over again with the order of worship, with all the sit up, stand up, sit down, and repeat after me activity in an Episcopal worship service. There were homeless people who wandered in right before the service started and then quickly fell asleep. I looked around and I saw good-looking young men and good-looking young women all there alone, no doubt members of the competitive D.C. scene. And when the priest asked the congregation for prayer requests, voices throughout the sanctuary named everything from grandma's cancer diagnosis to the Washington Nationals baseball team to rage over recent Supreme Court decisions. If you looked around on the ground, there were all these kneeling pillows throughout the sanctuary with the names of our presidents stitched into them. There was a sign on the wall that talked about Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln who prayed in that church every single night throughout the Civil War. That's where presidents went and prayed in the First and Second World Wars and Cold Wars. It's where presidents went after a space shuttle exploded mid-flight. It's where presidents have gone after school shooting shocked the nation. This church has survived arson attempts, and it has been the backdrop to thousands of protests. But what I found most interesting than all the history and the stained glass and the marble was the moment the priest called everyone forward to receive communion. If you looked around, it was people from all walks of life, tourists and homeless people, children returning from Sunday school, gay people, trans people, black and brown people, white folks, poor people and then filthy rich Armani suit-wearing people. We all lined up to slowly make our way to the front of the church where a priest put a small bit of bread in everyone's hand and he said, this is the bread of life. 
Then you went to the next priest who was holding a cup of wine, and she said, the cup of salvation. So that morning, I thought of the thousands of churches from downtown D.C. to downtown L.A. to war zones in Ukraine, from places of great wealth and comfort to cities under constant bombardment. Churches on every continent, including Antarctica, and once, if you can believe it, on the surface of the moon. People have been celebrating communion based on the Jewish Passover that has been shared for millennia. It's easy to do. All it takes is bread and wine. You break the bread, you pour the wine, you repeat an ancient prayer, and then you suspend disbelief but so that for a moment bread and wine mean more than wheat and salt and water and fermented grape juice. If you think about it, it's not that much different than what we do for birthday cake. I just celebrated my daughter's 11th birthday last week, and so I know acutely that birthday cake is nothing more than flour and water and a whole lot of sugar and an egg or two. But whenever you put that birthday cake in front of someone with candles on it, and you light those candles and you sing with joy for someone you love. And when that happens, suddenly a frosted clump of cake takes on a measure of hope. It takes on a measure of hope because next year you're praying that you'll be lucky enough to sing and celebrate their life and your love for them again. And there is no doubt that communion puts a pretty big burden on the imagination, a burden that some of us choose to avoid at all costs. After all, it's tough work being asked to believe that bread is life and wine is salvation. And so after I took the bread and the wine from the priest, I had to squeeze past three dozen people to get back to my seat. And of course, not everyone took communion. But whether people took communion or not, what you saw in everyone's eyes, if you scanned the congregation, was a similar expression of mild embarrassment. After all, a hundred or so people were awkwardly sitting or walking single file down a church's aisle to get a tiny morsel of bread and a plastic thimble of syrupy wine. But in a world so overfilled with inequality, there at the communion table, not one of us got special treatment. Not the prominent elected officials who were there with their staffers, not the long-standing members with their fancy name tags, not the choir in their robes, not the children, not the tourists, not even the clergy. In that moment, we were all equals just waiting in line, waiting in the pews, hands upturned, hands folded in our laps, waiting for food and drink to be gifted to us. And then once we got that hunk of bread and our sip of wine, we ate it with our teeth and with our dentures, and then we drank the wine with our lips. And down it went into our bellies, where metabolism takes what it wants and wastes the rest. In many ways, this act is no different than the thousands of meals we have eaten throughout our lives. All that mushy baby food you don't even remember your mom feeding you. All that lukewarm fast food you got while driving down the highway. Potluck meals after funerals at church. Microwave meals between exams at college. But whenever we celebrate communion, we pause to consider that bread and wine are more than mere chemicals. 
that food is more than mere fuel, that human flesh is more than just a bag that keeps our organs nearby. Communion asks us to eat not simply to survive. Communion invites us to eat and drink to monstrosity's end, to eat and drink to the end of cruelty and the end of shame, to eat and drink with hope that one day we just might figure out a way to release ourselves from the human propensity to mess things up. We eat and drink to the end of sorrow, but mostly at communion we eat to grace. And this is what church is for. Whether it be the church of the presidents or an outdoor church under a tent in Georgia or a 164-year-old church like ours on the corner of Grant and Fifth Streets or on a space shuttle on the moon. You can forget about saints, you can forget about presidents and ministers and Unitarian pompousness and universalist Christianness. You can forget about UU humanists. You can forget about the music, the architecture, the board meetings, the pled drives, clapping or not clapping in church, or too few or too many Bible readings. Now, I'm not saying that that stuff doesn't have a time and a place. It has a time and a place. It can even inch us a little closer to the work of love. But all that stuff is secondary. It's nothing more than mist when you compare it to what the church is really for. And what the church is really for is it is for coming to the common table of humanity, eating and drinking together and turning from that to try and love the world and ourselves and each other just a little bit better this week than we did in the last. When we celebrate communion, we eat and drink to our common humanity. And so this year, what I brought to the communion table was some challah bread that I baked in my kitchen last night with my wife. It is a loaf of bread I've made for my neighbors after they've had children. It's a loaf of bread I've made for members of this church before and after surgery. It's a loaf of bread I've made for my wife and daughter. It is a bread that I offer in thanksgiving for the members of this church and thanksgiving for the work you do that ever inches us towards the work of love. And so now, dear friends, I invite all of you forward this moment to tell the story of what your bread means to you. Please come forward. I have here a piece of wild rice cranberry bread, which came from a special place in Minnesota. I'd like to dedicate it to the memory of the indigenous peoples who occupied our country before us, for whom the harvesting of wild rice and cranberries was the source of survival.
I brought date nut bars, which were my mother's um, holiday, for many, many holidays, she made them to share with friends and family. My bread is fresh left so that my wife and I made yesterday. The Norwegian, now Norwegian holiday bread, but at one time it was a bread that was used regularly for everything from treats or sweetener with dessert to put around sausages or to push your food onto your utensil. And it's not the other L Norwegian dish that some people rebel against. Hi, I represent the youth group. We decided as a group that we were going to provide a marble rye because we wanted to show how we're all unique individuals that come together to meet together, to laugh, share, and learn. And so that is our offering to you this morning. Hi, I'm Chris. Donna and I uh, recently returned from our travels. Uh, Donna, Donna, I'm Chris. Donna and I recently returned from our travels, and we brought croissants. Um, it's what we ate while we traveled, and now we're bringing them back to our community, and we're very glad to be back. We brought a piece of cranberry almond bread that I purchased yesterday morning at the Wausau Farmer's Market. And when we say our prayer before every meal, we always say something we're thankful for. And invariably on Saturdays, I always say, I am so thankful and grateful for all our local farmers and bakers who bring all these wonderful foods for us to enjoy. So to our Wausau area farmers, thank you. My mother is here again, and she brought our family cranberry nut bread that we make every Christmas, and so it is our tradition. Um, it's one of my fondest memories going back as long as I can remember. We have an assembly line. We, we work together to do it, and it's wonderful. We'll celebrate our communion out in the atrium after church this morning. Now that our harvest is gathered, I invite you to join me in the responsive reading. For that power at work among us which transforms, renews, and redeems life. For that power which will not suffer us to be satisfied with what we are. For that power which through love sustains and supports us. lest we forget our dependence upon powers over which we have no control, lest in our discouragement we cease to listen for the still small voice, lest we forget the goodness leads us upon paths we do not see. Jesus, 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 Jesus. 
please rise as you're able and join in our closing hymn inserted in your order of worship over the river and through the woods. came here this morning with someone, I invite you to reach out and take their hand, maybe the neighbor nearby. If you're here alone, reach out with your hearts. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. Please have a seat, relax, and enjoy the postlude. We'll have communion in a moment. <laughs> 